So welcome back to Realty Bites, conversations on real estate and lifestyle. And today we have a very special guest with us, Brian Korb, who is a collaborative family lawyer. And in today's age, there are so many questions dealing with the law and with families. And what I wanted to do was really drill down on the importance of having a will. So thank you so much, Brian, for joining us today uh, to talk about wills. Very nice to be here, Evelyn. Thanks for having me. Now, before we begin, can you share just a little bit about yourself and your practice? How long have you been doing law and what type of law do you do you engage in? Sure. Well, I was uh, called to the bar way back in 1984 here in Ontario, and I started as a, a basically a generalist doing all areas of law except for corporate commercial. Um, But now my practice is really restricted to to family, uh, wills and estates. And I do a a tiny bit of criminal law, believe it or not, which is really diametrically opposed to the other two. But it's generally family and and wills and estate planning. Okay, Into my 39th, well, getting close to my 40th year, so. Right, so you know a little a little bit about it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, one could say. <laughs> so today we wanted to talk about wills. So can you explain exactly what a will is and why it's important? Well, to state the obvious, a will is a is a legal document that is uh, that speaks uh, when a person's no longer around. It, it's it's um, a person who devises, through a lawyer, of course, um, um, a document that basically maps out how all of their worldly possessions are to be um, allocated and to whom and by whom. So the basics of a will are basically that you appoint an administrator, as we call an executor, who can uh, deal with all of your worldly possessions, what you have in the bank, your real estate, their investments, etc., and who you are leaving these assets to, in what amounts, what percentages. And obviously, it's a super important document because without it, your loved ones have no guidance whatsoever, and your life is in, or your worldly possessions at death are in the hands of the law. Okay. And so, why is it important for an individual to have a, a will? So, you know, I, th- I think when I think of it, it's things like, you know, who gets what when you die, I guess, preventing fights among family. I guess also there's the options of instructing who would look after your kids, I guess, as well, if they were minors, correct? Yeah, there's, there's many reasons we have a will, but the most important one is that there is somebody that can speak on the behalf of the estate you're appointing an executor. If you don't have a will, the government of Ontario, the government of Canada, a bank, um, anybody will not speak to you because you have no legal authority. So once the person passes, if there's no will, the the bank, for instance, is certainly not going to speak to anybody showing up and say, I'm his or her husband or wife, etc. Well, that's fine. They would ask, is there a will? Have you been appointed to have legal authority? And that's what the will gives that person, legal authority to deal with 
pay off your final income taxes, pay off your debts, consolidate your worldly possessions, your bank accounts and, and investments. Without that, the family is left with no, uh, no legal authority or guidance and they must immediately or should attend at a lawyer who would then, at a, in a more costly fashion, because there is no will, apply to the court on behalf of a loved one to appoint them to be the administrator of the deceased person's estate. So okay. it's extremely important to have a will. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you talked about the word estate. What exactly is an estate? The estate is all of your worldly possessions that you own at the time of your passing. So that includes everything, everything. Now, what actually comes into your estate for, as we would say, taxation purposes, are those things that you cannot leave directly to beneficiaries. So for instance, a life insurance policy, you can name a beneficiary and the life insurance company will pay out the size of the, um, the policy to the beneficiary or beneficiaries, not in your estate. If you have a tax-free savings account, you can name beneficiaries, goes directly to those beneficiaries, as well as registered investments. Outside of that, those main three uh, investment vehicles, everything else is part of your state, your real estate, your other non-registered investments, your business holdings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Your, your motor vehicle, for instance, so that's your estate, those worldly possessions. Okay. And is there different kinds of wills? So a will for a family, if you have a business, is it all dumped into one or is it different? So there are two drafted by lawyers, two basic wills. One would be pertaining to your, your personal assets and another one pertaining to your corporate assets. If you're the owner of a small Canadian corporation, you have what we call or should have drafted a secondary will, which allows the person you appoint to be your executor, your administrator, the ability to keep the corporation in business without having to go to court to have the will authenticated, without having to pay a probate tax to the government of the, the, your province, for instance. So it's important for persons with who are, who are shareholders of their own companies, for instance, to have secondary wills. Outside of that, there's the primary will, which deals with all of your personal assets outside of your companies. Now, in terms of other types of will, there's a, another type of will called a holograph will. This is a will not prepared by a lawyer. It's in the person's own handwriting and signed by the person. So a person could technically, usually I would say on their deathbed, if they didn't have a will, to write in their own handwriting who they appoint to administer their estate and who they're leaving their estate to. That is also, believe it or not, valid in, in every province in Canada, so long as it's drafted appropriately and signed. Okay. So when somebody is considering putting together a will, what is the process of creating a valid will with a lawyer's assistance? Well, it starts obviously by calling the lawyer, um, meeting with the lawyer, uh, preparing an inventory, if we, for lack of a better word, uh, of all of their assets and the lawyer would be asking them about that so that the lawyer can then provide them with appropriate estate planning legal advice, for instance, to make sure they have beneficiaries of the RSP, a life insurance tax free savings accounts, and also perhaps how to structure their bank accounts. Sometimes they want to put them in joint names with a spouse 
or uh, how does how their title of their home would be many many um, items that uh, the lawyer goes through with the client a to minimize their tax exposure upon death and b uh, for the lawyer to know exactly what they have and how to structure the will so that the beneficiaries obtain the maximum amount of their inheritance with um, the least amount of tax payable. Death and taxes do go together though. It's, it's very difficult to avoid taxes, period. Right, but I guess having a will, you can sort of structure it so that you're paying the least amount that you would have to, right? Exactly, and having a will um, was much less costly for the beneficiaries um, at the time of the person's passing. If there's no will, their legal fees, the estate's legal fees will be two, three, four times as much because the lawyer has to do much more to have, to obtain the authority to, um, for an administrator to um, process the estate. Right, and so if you don't have a will, what happens to all your worldly goods? Uh, well, nothing immediately until somebody attends with a lawyer uh, and makes an application to the Superior Court in the province they live in uh, to obtain the authority of the court to act on behalf of the deceased person's estate. Right. So that's a, that's a more costly endeavor, generally. And um, under the Succession Law Reform Act, at least in Ontario, um, there are there is a, um, a line of consanguity. These persons that are related to the deceased who can apply and it also maps out who the beneficiaries would be under the law if there is no will. So and we could speak about this in a whole segment but you know if a husband and wife are together and the husband passed the wife would generally apply to the court to be the executor administrator and the wife would be entitled to the first so many hundreds of thousands of dollars value the estate and if there were children the law uh, the law would call for the wife to uh, inherit a certain uh, amount and then split the rest with uh, the children child or children if they're if they're not married then it goes to parents the deceased person's parents from there if there's no parents alive to the deceased person's siblings if they're not alive then on to nieces nephews etc and you know, if a person had no children, sometimes it's their niece or nephew coming out of the woods to actually help the aunt or uncle's estate being processed. Right. At much greater cost, again, without a will. Right. And no direction. And then for that deceased person, it may be going to people that they really didn't want it to go to, I guess. Depending on the family dynamics, yes. Yes, because uh, I often, uh, I just actually recently uh, dealt with a client and there was infighting between the siblings about, you know, the uh, the parents' property when they passed away. And so, you know, um, I guess there was no will from my understanding and there was just, it was a mess, basically. Well, with wills or without, uh, the, the biggest topic uh, or the, the big, the asset that uh, causes the most emotion and sometimes infighting, because a will is a will, you get what you get, but if there's a family cottage, and um, which has great value, and uh, one of the children and their family were always at the cottage, and the sibling children and their families never went, and they all insist that this uh, cottage be sold uh, so that they all receive their share of the estate, 
that leads to a lot of infighting. Or worse yet, when the um, testator, the deceased person, leaves the, the cottage to the siblings and their families to continue to use, that can cause a lot of acrimony as well without a lot of specific rules and regulations from the owner of the cottage who's now passed. Right, right. So are there common misconceptions or myths about will that you often encounter when you're talking to people? Um, I think that the misconception um, about wills and even powers of attorney, there are, for lack of a better word, a living will so that you can give instructions on behalf of an incompetent spouse or parent or what have you, is a lot of people believe that they can act on behalf of their spouse, you know, while they're alive and incompetent or upon death. Her husband, um, wife, a situation, and all legal authorities will still look for the legal document. You don't have the right to speak on behalf of your spouse, deceased or otherwise. Okay. Now, you mentioned a living will. Can you speak a little bit more about what that is? Well, it's, it's a vernacular term for a power of attorney. So a power of attorney is a document whereby the signer gives authority to another person to act on their behalf when they are deemed incompetent themselves generally for the aged, for our parents who are lose, losing their cognitive functions. And so it allows a son, daughter, spouse who are right-minded to make certain decisions, provide instructions to doctors, nurses, uh, for instance, at a hospital, or to take care of their financial affairs with financial institutions such as bank or investment uh, agencies. Right. Okay. And another question in terms of that living will, if you were to be, because you mentioned a hospital, uh, so, so I'm in a hospital and I'm really sick and I don't want to be resuscitated, would that need to be put into a will of some kind as well? Or No, that's it. That would be in the power of attorney because you're still alive, of course. Right. You're not competent, perhaps in a coma or what have you. And it's in the, uh, the power of attorney indicating that I do not wish to be resuscitated or I do not wish to have certain life-sustaining procedures such as um, um, various um, equipment to keep me alive. Right. So when someone is drafting their will, should they be putting together that uh, power of attorney? Yes. Signing it, it at the same time. Uh, yeah. Uh, all lawyers will... Uh, suggest and almost insist that they do both together as a package, your wills and your powers of attorney. Because sometimes the powers of attorney are certainly essential for loved ones, um, elderly children to take care of their much more elderly parents. And, and without the document, they can't do it. Right. And it's not only, I think, being old. You could be in an accident where something happens to you and you don't have, uh, you know, your cognitive uh, abilities there. So from exactly. our conversation so far, it seems like there's three types of wills, your personal will, a will if you have a business corporation, and then your, I'm going to call it a living will, or what, what was the other name that you called it? Well, no, there's a uh, there's two basic wills, your, your, your principal will for your assets, your secondary will for your corporate assets. There's just another form of it. You can write it on your own and holograph will. I'm not suggesting that by any stretch. That should only be an emergency if you didn't have a will and you're in the hospital, for instance. 
but you should you should always contact a lawyer just as just as i say if your car is not working and you don't know much about mechanics you contact a mechanic to fix it if you need a will or power of attorney you go to a lawyer or in some provinces a notary etc to have it done professionally so that portion of documents that you were talking about if you were incapacitated is that part of your will then no it's a power of attorney so it's a separate thing but you do it's it at the separate time document. okay at the time of your will okay now what about um updating and reviewing your wills i know for myself and my husband we did our will many years ago we recently updated it a lot of things had changed between that time and now how often should people revisit their wills i always tell clients that they should think about their wills every three to five years if anything's changed in their lives, the lives of their family, and most definitely when their children become adults, generally. Uh, when their children are minors and they're appointing aunts or uncles or family members to, as a part of the will to act as the children's guardians, um, obviously the children cannot be administrators of the estate. But once their children, you know, mature into their 20s, 30s, they definitely should revise their wills especially since they've appointed generally their own siblings who would be close in age and perhaps would pass before um, uh, themselves. And therefore, if you appoint somebody that's already passed, then your will has no validity because they've already passed. So that's a very interesting uh, point that I think most people don't think about is that you appoint your what is it called? An, a guardian? Well, you appoint a guardian for your the property of your children. Yes. So it's called an, a trustee for the will, right? Somebody who's going to carry out your wishes? The administrative Admin trustee, correct. Okay. So should yep. you be picking two just in case one passes? Well, you always have, you should always have a, a backup um, a trustee or a few backups just so you're you're not always going back to the lawyer to oh, my trustee passed away, I've got to appoint a new one. You would have an alternate trustee, et cetera. Um, the guardian that I was speaking to is in the will itself, somebody that you would appoint to care for your minor children. Um, and that is um, oh, it's just a recommendation, but that's usually carried out. But the trustee administers your estate, the guardian takes care of your children. Okay. so. Are there any specific considerations or challenges that you see uh, in terms of real estate and real estate professionals, realtors like myself, that need to be uh, made aware of when they are in working with uh, an estate or wills? Well, I, I think um, it, it's most important they deal um, with the person long before they pass um and discuss uh, with especially um couples for instance who are into second or subsequent relationships or marriages the most important thing is how will you be taking title to your home what ownership percentages are you taking title as joint tenants or tenants in common now the real estate lawyer should be also specifically asking the purchasers the couple um, um buying so for instance if it was a second marriage and each of the, uh, the husband and wife had children from their previous marriages and they bought a home together 
and but they wanted uh, an in equal shares but they wanted their share to go to their respective children well that couple would want the home to be owned as tenants and couple my 50 percent always is mine and goes to my children if they wanted the home to um, to, um to be left to their spouse then they would take it as joint tenants meaning there's there's a survivorship right if i own it jointly with my spouse my spouse becomes the owner upon my death as opposed to my one half share going to my children and my spouse having to buy out my children or vice versa i have to buy out my spouse's children so that's very important people often think that they own the home jointly but it's going to their uh their share is going to their children but uh, joint tenancy means no, it goes to your spouse. Now, what so, would happen in that case if it goes to your spouse and, you know, both husband and wife, let's just say, have two children each. The wife dies, it goes to the husband. Then the husband dies and his will says everything goes to just his kids and the wife's kids get nothing in that case? Or can there be something in the will that would address that? They got nothing from the proceeds of that house sale or whatever. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, without either a, a marriage contract or taking the title as equal parts, tenants in common. Yes, sometimes one family's um, estate could be left to the, the other family uh, without either a marriage contract and or uh, specific um, instructions as to how title is taken to in that home. Yeah. So it's important to have. Yeah. yeah, it's important to speak to a lawyer as well, because they can sort of walk you through all these different scenarios and ask you questions to sort of make you think, what is it that you really want to have happen when, Correct. when, you, when you do pass? And yeah. is there any real life examples or situations where you can say having a will really made a great positive impact or not having a will really ended up in, in just a mess? Without giving any well, specifics. Yeah, I, I, the only um, difficult cases is where there's no will. Where there is a will, there's always something to work off of. Wills can be challenged one way or the other. Uh, most wills are never challenged successfully, um, but they can be, uh, particularly if the person signs a subsequent will and they didn't have the capacity, the mental capacity. And that's what most of the cases are about. Um, but when there's no will and um, there's numerous siblings and each of the siblings wants to become, makes an application to be the estate administrator. And that could be a, because they don't trust each other or they think they have to be involved uh, um, more hands on. Um, that can involve a lot of lawyers, a lot of money and a lot of problems. Right. And so how long does it take for you working with a lawyer to put a will together? Is this something that takes days, months? It all depends on the complexity of the estate. Um, but um, for a simple family, for instance, that um, owns a couple of pieces of real estate, money in the bank and, and investments and um, go to work each day, it's generally um, two meetings uh, with the lawyer, the first one um, dealing with what the estate is comprised of, talking about all their worldly possessions, receiving uh, some tax advice or referral to a tax accountant, um, 
the lawyer uh, obtains instructions as to who they wish to be their executor, who's their backup executor, and who they wish to leave uh, their estate to and in what percentages. And the lawyer also um, um, describes for them whom, to whom their legal obligations are. So if they have a spouse and they don't have any marriage contract, uh, they, um, they have to leave uh, at least half of their estate to their married spouse. And that's by law under the Family Law Act, or, or at least a good portion of it. Otherwise, the spouse can challenge the will for, um, because they have not left them any portion of the estate. Okay. So you would meet with the lawyer twice, then you would sign the documents. Once those documents are signed, how many copies are there? Where should they be kept? Um, should you tell the person that, hey, I've made you my trustee or do they get a surprise at the end? So when, when you sign a will and your powers of attorney with a lawyer, um, general, you go home with a copy of your will and original powers of attorney. You are entitled to take your signed will as well. The problem with that often is if you lose that will, then you've just wasted your money because the will is gone and can't be found. The lawyer has an obligation to hold on to the will, keep it safe, not uh, spill anything on it. They're usually kept in, in locked vaults and they're always available to the uh, executor upon the passing or worth to the person anytime they want it. Um, but the answer is you can keep your will, uh, but generally most of the time the original will is kept with the lawyer. Okay. And if you were to say scan that will and have it on a digital copy, is that considered valid or does it have to be a hard copy? You need a hard copy before the courts. Now, there's, there is case law, if the will can't be found, but there's a scanned copy or there's a copy of a copy, sometimes they are authenticated and or called probated uh, uh, by the courts. But the courts require the, the, the hard copy. It's good to scan them, however, because at least you see the lawyer's name, you know where the will would be located or where those that lawyer's will ultimately ended up. So um, it's always a good idea to scan your copy of the will Right. Okay. And um, if someone has more questions about uh, having a will prepared uh, or any questions about your services in, in doing that for them, what's the best way for them to reach out to you, Brian? They just Google Brian Korb and they will find my website, my number and my email address and I'd be more than happy to answer any of their questions. And we, and we get cold calls all the time. And um, Sometimes I can answer them over the phone. Not often, mind you, often, you know, to, as I said, if you have a car that's not working, you've got to bring the car to the mechanic. You've got to come in, sit down with the lawyer, and the, the lawyer will uh, give his or her best advice to them. Okay. And what's your office number if they want to reach out to you to book an appointment? Um, in, I'm at 905-666-1161. Okay, awesome. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your vast uh, array of expertise in this uh, field and uh, for all of your insights. Thank you so much for joining us and we hope to have you visit us again soon. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Brian.